Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Knowing God. Let's talk about the importance of knowing God. There we go. Moving forward. There we go. The importance of knowing God. All right, John, uh, we got a, a theme verse, and I'll probably, well, we're going to look at it at least three times today. And uh, this is the one that I couldn't shake. Uh, John 17, verse 3. In fact, earlier in the week, I woke up and I couldn't stop thinking about this verse. And I did probably an, an <laughs> I was going to say an ungodly. That's not a good word to use up here. But I did a lot of, of study into this verse, even in this last week, to really dissect it. You know what I would really encourage you to do, church? Um, take the time sometimes with a verse. I actually love, I've done lots of different reading plans and lots of different things where I go through the Bible really fast. And for the last probably two years, though, I've been going through slow. I still like to go through systematically, but I try not to do usually more than a chapter a day, and I do lots of memorization. Seriously, when you just take a verse sometimes or a passage or a chapter and sit on it and then read and pray and let it soak in, it is amazing what the Holy Spirit begins to show you. Anyhow, I'm very excited about this, uh, this particular verse, John 17, 3. And if you want the context, remember John 14, 15, 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples before he goes to the cross. And it's, it's an amazing, probably some of my favorite chapters in John. John is my favorite gospel. You can argue on which one your favorite is. John is the best one. Um, we just know that. Anyways, um, this particular part that was right coached in his prayer. So Jesus does two main prayers. He kind of does the Lord's Prayer. He teaches us to pray. And then remember John 17, Jesus then prays for us. And we get to see a lot of his heart in here. Uh, but this is right in the beginning of when he starts praying. And he says this, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Why don't we say that together, starting at and. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Think about that. This is eternal life. That's what eternal life is, to know God. It's relationship, which is incredible. And this is a, a, a topic that is particularly dear to my heart because my story is so wrapped up in knowing God. My story is so wrapped up in, you know, uh, knowing him as a young boy, knowing a lot about him, and then walking away from the Lord. I talk about my testimony at the Set Free. I won't give the whole thing here. And then finally coming back uh, to know him, and here I am today. But when we go back to those early, early years, right? I was right around 10 or 11 when I hardened my heart towards God. And, and the question is, why? Why did I harden my heart? And I've shared this here before, but it's really important for the topic that we're on this morning and that we're going to be talking about going forward. Why did I harden my heart? Because I think sometimes, you know, we, we have to look at our faith and relationship with God and knowing God with the right lenses. And I, I think often what we're really consumed with is knowing the right things about God. We want to know the right things about God. And that is important. It is important. But I actually knew a lot of the right things about God growing up. I did. I was raised in a really good home. In fact, I didn't just know a lot of right things about God. It was modeled to me what even godly living looked like. I got to taste and see to a level, to a measure. Uh, I tasted and saw. And I, I saw my parents in the Word. I saw them in prayer. I saw them be faithful. And I even saw God do miracles. I did. I saw, I saw my, my parents pray, and I saw God, he would show up and do things. And so I even saw that there was power in prayer. I had a belief growing up 
And uh, I, almost, I almost brought it here today, but I didn't. But I have my, my first Bible that my parents gave me. It's in my office. And if you would have seen some of the things I wrote in there and the passages that stuck out to me uh, in Isaiah and stuff like that, I had, I had a belief in God. I did. And I had a belief that he was who he said he was. And yet still at 10 or 11, I had this hardening of my heart when my mom got sick. And I know many people go through lots of different things, and my parents didn't do anything wrong. I mean, they modeled it the best they could, uh, but still, I ended up in this spot where my heart hardened, and I was mad at God. And why was I mad? Because I couldn't reconcile something. There was something that just, it was a sticking point for me. I knew he was who he said he was, or at least I knew he was God. I wasn't sure if he was who he said he was anymore. I knew he was God. I believed the Bible was, was the Word of God. And yet, I couldn't reconcile how he could be good. I couldn't reconcile how can he be good and allow my mom to be sick. My mom ended up having 10 different brain surgeries. She was leaking CSF brain fluid out of her nose. And so over the course of many years, she ended up having 10 different surgeries. And right in the beginning, I remember, and I don't know if I, I got this exactly right, but I remember hearing something to the effect of that they thought she was going to die, but they thought given that there was access into her brain fluid leaking out, they figured any bacteria or virus that she would breathe in uh, should kill her. And they were very concerned. And my little heart, uh, for, from being a young boy, it just hardened. I couldn't understand, God, why are you not healing her? Why don't you take this away? Why don't you fix this? And because he didn't fix this, I didn't believe that he was good. And, and really that, that was rooted in what? I didn't know him. I didn't understand who he was. I didn't understand his behavior, his reactions. I didn't, I didn't know him. And we shouldn't be surprised that this was my biggest need. You know, I've talked to lots of different people over the years um, in lots of different circumstances, especially as I was coming in and ministered in Four Winds for so long. And uh, then coming out of there, I did lots of, of personal ministry. And, you know, I've met with people in all sorts of crises within their lives, whether it's an addiction or abusive situation or a broken marriage or questioning their faith and not being able to hear God or, or not knowing Him. And, you know, it's interesting what I have found over the years, although there's many things that need to be dealt with or addressed along the, along the road, right? We all have different stories, different backgrounds, but one of the things that I have found is at the core of it all, the biggest thing that I have found that makes the biggest difference is helping people grow in their relationship with God so that they know Him better. And it's in that knowing where you usually see people come alive, and that's usually the problem. And I, I would venture to say that at the core of why many people walk away from their faith, struggle with passion for Jesus, feel like their faith is just a bunch of do's and don'ts, rather than feeling the joy of surrendering, actually lies less in not knowing the right things about God, and lies more in they don't really know God. And I know we're all in a different, I mean, you hear that and you might say, well, I kind of identify, I'm lacking passion, but I know God. This is not about <laughs> labels, it's not about anything like that. I would venture to say, wherever we're at on the spectrum of just knowing about God to knowing God, we all need to know Him more. Because I would think the more we know Him, the more alive we'll become here, even on this earth. Because He's wonderful. The more you know Him, the more you want to obey Him. The more you know Him, the more you're going to love Him. 
The more you know him, the more it's going to be a joy to give up your life for him. So knowing God is eternal life. And that's what John 17 verse 3 says. Uh, I'll just want to quickly cover another verse here. Just, and this one's more just for fun. It doesn't have anything to do with the message, or at least that verse. This life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. I just love this. John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life, that we may know you and, your, and Jesus whom you have sent. And then First John says that this eternal life was with the Father and was made manifest to them. And who's the eternal life here? Jesus. So Jesus says, this is eternal life, to know me. But then we also find in Scripture that he is the eternal life. So <laughs> you can just see the whole thing centers around Jesus, and that's really what we come back to. And knowing him is the biggest thing that we should be focusing on. So let's look at two different kinds of life, though, that are important to get out of that passage, right? So John 17, 3, this is eternal life, to know you and your son whom you've sent. Uh, and the first kind of eternal life that we're going to look at is duration, heaven. We're going to look at that heaven peace. Because knowing God, like knowing God and salvation or eternal life is important. So we're going to cover a, a troubling passage for many and hopefully put you at ease in some of this. But knowing God at the core again. Matthew 7, 21 to 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. For on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do my many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, I think this passage has frightened many over the years uh, because we look at it and say, Lord, Lord, I mean, there's going to be people that stand before Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, and they're not going to be in heaven? And worse yet, like, they did some pretty good things, I'd, I'd say. Casting out demons, wouldn't you agree that casting out demons is a good thing? That's a good work? I would, I would think so. I think it's a very good work. Um, prophesying, that's a good work. Scripture says lots about prophecy and how it can build people up and build up the church. And even doing many mighty works in your name, and yet... We get this scary verse in verse 23 right at the end there where Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And now, right here, this passage is just simplifying exactly what it is that salvation is all about. Right? Lord, Lord, and works. It's not just about an intellectual belief. It's not, James talks about this too, right? He says, faith without works is dead. It's not even the demons believe and they shudder. He's saying, just believing that I exist is not enough. And then he goes on to say, and if you're thinking you're saved by works, it's also not enough. And we get a bit of a clue what he's talking about. This is Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And if you go back a little bit to Matthew 5, we get Jesus, and this is right after he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then he says, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And then after talking about teaching and relaxing the commandments, he gets to this verse 20 where he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, we get another troubling verse, Right? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Didn't they call God their father? 
Sounds like the Lord, Lord. Didn't they work in the church of the day in the temple? I would say so. Didn't they do a lot of good works? Well, at least Jesus talks about in Matthew 6, they did a lot of praying and fasting and did it publicly for people to see. They did a lot of that. But what does he mean by unless your righteousness exceeds? So here we get, you can do good works and say, Lord, Lord, in Matthew 7, and you won't get in to heaven. That's scary. And then in Matthew 5, 20, you're saying your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? Anyone getting a little nervous? I was when I was reading it. <laughs> I have. I remember the first time reading that and I was just thinking, wow, that standard is really, 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 really high. And let me point something out. It is high. It's called impossibly high. In fact, it is so high that not a single person could ever live up to that. Righteousness exceeding that of the scribes and Pharisees. What righteousness do we need? Jesus' righteousness. Yeah. Jesus' righteousness, unless our righteousness, unless our faith goes beyond our good works and intellectual belief, unless we are clothed with Jesus' righteousness, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's what he's getting at in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. He's saying, you're not saved just because you call me Lord. And that might be like, oh, that's terrifying. That's terrifying. But it's not. The Pharisees missed the point. Their good works and right beliefs were not enough to save them. The only righteousness that saves is Christ's righteousness. And John 5, you see it here again. Now we're back to John, right? John and Matthew. Matthew is another one of my favorites, by the way. I got loads memorized from both of those books. Very little from Mark and Luke, although they're pretty good. Um, anyhow, John 5, 39 to 40. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. Here, there he is. He's talking about eternal life again. Right? You're searching the scriptures because in them, because I have this book, I believe this is the word of God, in here I will now have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, and yet you refuse to come to me so that you may have life. Now I know sometimes we can look at these passages and say, oh, that's harsh, isn't it? That's harsh. No, 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 no. Don't, don't read harsh. Read invitation. That's what that is. It's an invitation. He said, I, I want you to have far more than just a belief. Like, I want you to have far more than that. I want you to have a belief that gives you life. A belief that saves a relationship. I think it's absolutely wonderful. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. There you see that language again. It's relational. Come to me. He wants connection with us. Matthew 7, Jesus is saying that calling him Lord and doing good works is not enough to save you. You need to know God and be known by him. That's the end there. I never knew you. It doesn't say you never knew me because some of us read it like that. Oh, like I gotta, I, like it's all on me. The weight is on me. He says, no, no, no. I never knew you. Now, again, this is not meant to heap condemnation or to make us worry that we aren't saved. I don't think Jesus is making a, a negative point. I believe he's giving us an invitation. We're going to go, oh. There we go. I don't know if that actually does anything, but I think it did. And it worked. So we're going to go with that. Look at this, John 17, verse 3 again. And this is eternal life. Oh, let's read it together. Should we read it together? You might have it memorized by the end of this service. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is an invitation. You know one of the reasons why heaven is going to be amazing? Is because the only people that are going to be there are the ones who wanted to be there. Who wanted to be with Jesus. 
And all of our sin nature and brokenness is going to be gone. And we're going to spend an eternity with each other and God in perfect union and oneness. And we will be fully known. One of the core things that drives all of us as human beings is this desire to know and be known. We all want it. Right? We, we want it. Well, it's Valentine's Day. I want it with my honey at home. Hi, Lou. Hi. little shout out there. Hopefully I get a browning point. Happy Valentine's Day, babe. Anyways, but we want it, right? We want it in marriage. We want it in our friendships. We want to know and be known. Well, that desire in us to know and be known, it was planted there by God. That's what he wants with us. We are, he wants to fully know us. He wants us to invite him to fully know us. He does know us fully, but he wants us to invite him to fully know us, and he wants to be fully known. And I love that. That's what heaven is going to be. I think it's going to be wonderful. You know, I think sometimes this gets easier if you think of it in terms of marriage. Right? When we're looking at the importance of knowing God and our salvation or our faith and how that works together. Uh, I think marriage really helps the whole thing come into focus. Um, because think about this. When you first began uh, pursuing your spouse. And if you're not married, you're just going to have to imagine what this is like. And think about pursuing something else. Somebody else. Maybe it's a friend. Okay. But when you're pursuing your spouse, think about this. Is it difficult? Like when you're in, this, in the beginning stages and you're just purely infatuated by this other person. I'm thinking about my wife right now, right? When you're purely infatuated, you know some of the crazy things that we did for the first few months? I was so awkward. I still am awkward, but it's a different kind of awkward. Uh, in the beginning, like, I've, I have always had stuff to say. I'm, I, <laughs> it's usually the, the getting me to stop speaking that's the problem. And yet, she's the first person that I met that made me speechless. I'm not just saying that because it's Valentine's Day. It's actually true. We would, like, we'd get together and watch Disney movies. That's kind of weird because I was a drug dealer back at the time. This is before I knew Jesus. Quick caveat for all the kids at home. Um, but we would watch Disney movies, and I didn't know what to say, and I wouldn't say anything. We would just sit there on the couch, sometimes lay on the couch. We would just watch movies, and then I'd drive her home and barely say a word to her. And you're like, that's weird. That is weird. And if any of you are out there and you're in the dating stages, don't do that. That's, a, that's weird. You think of something better, grow a relationship. But that's not what the point is. The point is, when I was pursuing her, I would do anything to be around her. Why? There was something about her that was intoxicating. I just wanted to know her more. It wasn't hard to give up time for her. Sometimes we think about our relationship with God, and it's like, oh... Like, I got to spend time in prayer. Oh, I got to spend time in the Word. And you know what? I, I totally understand that I've been there. I have felt that. In fact, I still feel like that because I'm human sometimes. I sometimes. I'm always human. I sometimes still feel like that. But the thing is, like, when you're in this process of infatuation in the beginning, you're pursuing because you want to know them so badly, it doesn't feel like sacrifice. Like when, sometimes we look at scripture and it talks about like this joy of laying down your life on the altar, this joy of doing these things. And we're like, oh, it doesn't feel like joy. And I think that's because we don't have a deep enough knowledge of God. Not knowledge about God, but we don't have a deep enough knowledge of God. We don't understand his character enough. Because I think if we did, the more we would get to know him, the more we would find giving up time would be a joy. I would, it would be more like, I get to. You know, in this last season, um, it has, it's been a difficult season we've been in, hasn't it? But in this last season, I've been getting up in the morning, sometimes just feeling a weight, which I'm sure many of you feel too. And I get into prayer and the Word, and you just start moving, and it's like you can feel 
the God of the universe, he sovereignly fills me, and I go from feeling heavy and ugh to, to like I feel joy and peace, and it's genuine. Anyways, going back to that marriage example, spending money, giving time, serving, laying down your rights, all of those things are easy in the beginning. Think about this, like marriage, isn't it crazy when you think, like now I know some of you are like, you just want to be married and it sounds amazing. But actually just back up from the relational side, think about what you're entering into with marriage. You're saying, I can no longer do whatever I want. I'm going to split my life with you. I'm going to split my bed. <laughs> Don't go, and whatever. I'm going to split my space with you. My space, my house, my, my finances, my time. I can't just do what I want to do anymore. Because now you are going to take time from me and effort and energy and life from me. And yet we all, well, not all, but many of us go head over heels into this covenant and we just think it's the absolute best thing in the world. Why? Because it's about knowing and being known. Knowing each other. That relationship is exhilarating. Jesus is inviting you today. He's inviting us to know him like that, to experience a faith that is like that. We're giving up time and money and giving of yourself won't feel like a chore all the time. But it'll actually be your joy. You'll feel like, I get to do this. I get to go into prayer. I get to go in the Word. Oh, Lord, I can't wait to meet with you again. I think a problem many Christians have is that we boil their faith down to a bunch of boxes to check, right? Or a bunch of right things to believe about God. And I'm not saying that those things are bad. There's lots of good things that we can do in the faith and serving and getting into the Word, setting up disciplines. That's good. In fact, I'm a big advocate for it. But those aren't the things that save you. They're just tools to help you point you back to Jesus, to point you back to God, to help you engage with him so that you can know him more. That's what it's all about. That's the peace that the Pharisees had missed. That's what Jesus was getting at. They missed the point of the word. Yes, get into your word, study it. But it's not the studying that gives you life. It's the person whom you meet. The one that you grow in a relationship with, he is the one that gives you life. All right. So that's eternal life. But the second part of eternal life, there's two senses that we're going to look at in John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you and your son Jesus whom you have sent. So abundant life. This is another part of the eternal life that we're promised. There is a life that is offered to us now. Right? Paul said, I counted all as loss for the sake of what? Knowing Jesus. Right? He counted everything else as rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus. He understood something. Knowing Jesus, knowing God, knowing God through Jesus was the highest goal, was the biggest treasure that you could ever find. There was nothing else that compared. John 10, 9 to 11. Actually, it's just John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I shortened it. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That they may have life and have it abundantly. There is more to the Christian faith than just trudging through and hopefully making it to the end and then standing before Jesus, then heaven comes later. And I know there's going to be difficult seasons. Absolutely, yes. But there is more, there is more to knowing God than just a future with him. We can actually engage with him now and experience a lot of that life here on this earth. You know, with 2020 in the rearview mirror, hindsight is 2020. Aren't you sick of hearing that? 
Yeah, I know. And I'll just say it a couple more times. You know, with 2020 in the, in the rearview mirror, hindsight, oh yeah, sorry. I'm just having fun. Give me one second. I gotta wet the mouth. Mm. Coffee's good for you. Um, all right. You know, many, I've talked to a lot of you, and I've even felt some of this, right? 2020 was difficult. Lots of change. Lots of unknowns. Lots of chaos. Absolutely. I think many people, not just in our church, many of you probably, yes, uh, but many in the world are feeling dry, empty, overwhelmed, lifeless. Right? Some Some are... you know, struggling with anxiety or struggling with depression. Others have stopped feeling altogether and they just feel numb. I know, and I know there's also, by the way, I'm not saying everyone feels that way. I know others that really enjoyed 2020, for real. I actually have met a few people that really, really enjoyed it. So, but I know many of us are looking for life. We're looking for something. Many people in the world are looking for something. So we want something to breathe life into our anxiety, breathe life into our brokenness, breathe life into our addictions. Maybe you have an addiction that kind of went out of control in 2020. As it just seemed like it, you wanted to stop, but you couldn't, it went in the opposite direction. And you want life in that. We want life to be breathed into our church. Amen? Absolutely we do. Families, work, emotions, will. Even just now, just take just one second. What is the area in your life where you would like to see life breathed into? What is your area of need? Seems hard maybe in that area? Seems dry, dead? Okay. Now, what if I told you, what if I told you that I knew the secret to experiencing life in that area? Would you be a little skeptical? You're like, oh, if he just gives the old Jesus answer. No, but seriously, would you feel a little skeptical? What if I said, I know the secret for you to experience life in that area, for you to experience the life that you're longing for? I think we would be skeptical. And why is that? Well, because our world is full of people and things promising to give us the life that we need in whatever area that we're struggling I mean, whatever you did for that few seconds, and we were talking about what area do you want to experience life in, I bet you, don't do this now, by the way, but if you would go into Google, (laughs) onto the Google, I like calling it the Google. Anyways, if you go into the Google and you type that in there, I bet you you could come up with a whole list of self-help things that you could do to experience life in whatever area that you're struggling. And yet, you know what we find in this world? That these cisterns that the world offers... They often leave us feeling more dry and more empty in the end. We feel hollow on the inside, and yet look at this. Look at this invitation. This is an invitation. The whole Bible is like an invitation into knowing God. The amount of times, like, you just see him desiring to know us and to be known, and and he wants to invite us into a relationship, it's absolutely incredible. It's stunning. Why he would care so much. Why he's wired, like, why is he that way? But anyways, Isaiah 55, 1 to 3, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Sounds like relationship, doesn't it? 
Come to me. Listen to what I have to say. I have something important for you. I want to give something to you. That your soul may live. This is the life that we're looking for. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. My question for each one of us this morning is this. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsting for more? Is there a part in your heart that is just longing, that is just hungry, that is looking for satisfaction in life? There is life promised to us on this earth as well. Look at this promise here. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And there are conditions to it, yes, as we focus our lives on him, yes. Absolutely, the peace of God that passes understanding. This is what he wants you to be able to experience. And not just when everything's going good in your life. Then it wouldn't be peace that passes understanding. Then it would just be peace, the absence of conflict. He's saying, son, daughter, I want you to be able to experience my peace. But if you want it, you're going to have to listen diligently to me. You're going to have to incline your ear to me, not to me, but to him. And come to him that you may live. That's the condition. He says, relationship, I want you to know me. It's in the knowing that you're going to experience this. There's also joy and hope. We were, I have quoted this verse a bunch this morning. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Look at, look at what he wants to give you. You feeling hopeless because of the last year? You feeling hopeless because of your finances or because of your health? You're feeling hopeless because of what happened in our church or what's happening in your life. His desire is to give you the strength to have hope so that you will not wither in the storms of life, but that you can, like a tree planted by streams, that you can bear fruit in its season. That's what he wants for you. How about freedom? And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Who's the truth? Who's the truth? Jesus, and you will know the truth, and you will know about the truth. You will know the right things about the truth. No, you will know the truth. If you abide in my word, is what it says before there, you will truly be my disciples, and you will know the truth. You will know him. You will know him. And it's in the knowing that you will be set free by truth. It is in the knowing. John 17, 3. Are you guys getting excited for this? To know God? We're going to do this with a series. We're going to go, it's like a, a, a kind of a back to the foundational, foundations of our faith kind of series. And I think it's important for us. Going through a hard year, let's just start at the foundation. Start at the foundation of what it's all about. It's about knowing him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Let's read it together, church. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they may know you. <laughs> Try and wrap your mind around that. Oh, I can't sit. Try and wrap your mind around that, seriously. Think about who God is. Like, this is the God of all creation. He exists outside of time and matter, and time and space. Unimaginably powerful. All-knowing, the only uncreated one there is. 
wrapped in mystery. He's got all of creation in the palm of his hand. In fact, all of creation, the, the enormity of all of the creation, think of the universe and the sun and even our earth, the enormity of it all, and he spoke it into being. Then he creates human beings out of dust and water and breath. <laughs> Wild, right? Wild. And then we, we sin in the garden. There's this sin that comes in. Now we have this sin nature. And we do things that are actually offensive to him. And instead of just absolutely obliterating us, which why, why wouldn't he do that? Why wouldn't he do that? Can you imagine if you made something, if you're a builder, I'm not a builder. Um, I'm just a cat lover. I don't know how I would uh, turn that into an analogy by here to help anyone. But imagine you're a builder. You build something that doesn't work. Do you keep it or do you tear it down and try to build something new? And yet he builds something and we have this sin nature and we do things that are offensive to him. And what does he do? He makes a way. He sends his son to die for me and you. And he offers us and he says, I still love you. I made you and I have a purpose for you and I love you. And now he invites us into, know, into a relationship where we can know him. The same word for knowing is the same one that you use for marital relationships. And I know it's not in a sexual way, but it's, it kind of gives us the idea of it's not just knowing like I know a friend. It's knowing it's intimacy. He desires intimacy with you and with me. And I think that's pretty incredible. Try to wrap your mind around that. I can't. So let's go into the, uh, the last part of the message here. Because where do we start? And we're going to spend a bunch of time on this um, over the next handful of weeks, we'll see how long it goes, on knowing God. Because there's a whole bunch of things. We want to help grow as a church. How do we actually do this as a church? That's what we're going to spend time on. But for now, uh, for now, I want to do a little practical stuff with you. So if you have your journals or if your phone, if you write on your phone, why don't you open them up now? So where do we start with all of this, right? With knowing God. Where does it start? Okay, I like this quote, uh, J.I. Packer put it this way, one does not know a living thing till one knows not merely its past history, but how it is to react and behave under specific circumstances. I love that. He's talking about knowing God there. So where do we start? We love because he first loved us, and that's the beginning of this whole thing. So the first thing that we have to understand if we're growing and knowing God is this. We love because he first loved us. It's a response. I don't want us going into this thinking this is something now we've got to work up in us and more self-effort. It's, it's not that. There is things that we need to do, absolutely yes. But the first thing we need to do is recognize that we're merely responding to God. He's already given us the invitation. We're just saying yes. We don't have to convince God to enter into a relationship with us. There's no convincing needed. You don't have to convince him that you're good enough. You don't have to convince him that you're going to do this for him or that for him. It's none of that. The first start, the, way, the place where we start and, the, and what we should always go back to is that it always begins with a response. We are responding to him. We're saying, Lord, because you've loved me, I, I am loving you. Lord, because you invite me into a personal relationship, Lord, I'm saying, yes, I want that relationship. And that is where it begins. So we're going to look at a couple of verses 
First one, Acts 17, 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. This is what we should be doing, seeking God and feel our way towards him. And yet, here it says in the end, he's actually not far from us. Deuteronomy 4, 29, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all of your heart. So the first thing we're going to do here is this. Step number one is we're going to pray and invite Jesus to know us at the deepest level. So it starts with ask. Now you might be thinking, well, what if I don't have that desire in me? You sound like you're really passionate about this topic, but I'm not even sure I'm there yet because of everything that's going on. I feel numb on the inside. I get that. Again, we're just responding to him. Something that I'm learning is when we need something, what do we do? We ask him. So you can begin by asking him for desire. Why don't you just write this down in your journal right now? Ask him for the desire to know him more. And then invite him into your heart and tell him you desire to be fully known by him. And then to know him more. You're not writing it down, that's okay. I just find the writing helps us focus. And just pray that inside. Jesus, I ask, we ask. We ask right now that you would give us a desire to know you more. Because even that desire in us, we can't work it up. We can only love as a response to your love. So Lord, could you give us the desire here this morning, today, each one of us. And then we are inviting you into every, every recess, every part, every, every room in our hearts. We're inviting you in. We want to be fully known by you. Whatever that looks like, Lord, we want to be fully known by you. And then Lord, would you give us the power to know you more? Would you meet with us in powerful ways? Right. Let's go to step number two. Step two is examining your heart. So who is sitting on the throne of your heart? This is something we're going to look at in greater detail in some of the upcoming weeks. But for now, this is a great place to start because what I have found in knowing God, probably the biggest thing that keeps people from knowing God or entering into a life, abundant life kind of relationship with Him is that they are actually living duplicitous lives. And Pastor Chris Puhatch, he actually mentioned a bit of this in January talking about prayer. Um, but it's worth mentioning again, this is the biggest thing. Who's sitting on the throne of our lives? Who's making the decisions? Because I have found nothing drains people of life faster than trying to live for Jesus and trying to live for themselves at the same time. And so let's, I'm, I'm going to, or let's each of us do this wherever we're sitting. Ask the Lord to show you if there's any areas of competing interests or compromise in your life. Lord, would you speak to us now? Are there any areas of our life that we haven't surrendered over to you?
Is he showing you something? You know, sometimes he shows you something and you're like, oh, Lord, I'm nervous. I've been here. I'm nervous to give this up because sometimes the things he's asking us to give up might be something in your life that's giving you your only little semblance of joy or peace. It's just you're holding on to it. Lord, I don't know. What am I going to do without that? Yet he beckons us to come into a relationship with him, to be known, to know him and to be known by him where true life can be found. So commit your way, whatever he's showing you, commit your way to him. And then let's move to number three, to seek, find, know, love, and obey. Ask him for a step. Remember, we're just responding to him. But if you're wanting to know, how do I grow in knowing God? How do I grow this relationship with him? How do I respond to him? Ask, seek. That's exactly what the passage was, Deuteronomy 4.29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. Skip forward to one verse here. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Verse 13, listen to this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. But there's a piece in there of doing it with all our hearts. So Lord, would you speak to us? What is one step we can take this week, today, in knowing you more? Lord, we are asking that you would meet with each one of us through this series, but even here today, this morning, whatever it is, Lord, that we are carrying in our lives, in our hearts today, regardless of how long we've been holding on to it, Lord, we're inviting you in. We want to know you more. This is eternal life, that we may know you. And so, Lord, that is our desire here this morning, to know you more. We are praying that you would meet with us in our lives. Meet with us in our hurts, in our pain. Meet with us in our joys, in our hobbies, in our relationships. Teach us to seek, to find, to know, to love and obey you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.